Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm here in Denver, Colorado this evening with my partner, Larry Mishkin from Chicago, who is in town for a few days. I am, Jim. Nice to see you as always. Nice to be in Denver and uh, have a chance for us to catch up and actually tape our show together. Although I prefer to be out at the barn, I'm uh, happy to see you here at the Hoban office. Very good. And uh, we have a guest today? We do. We have a... Uh, a special guest with us, Kevin Polarski. Kevin is with the uh, Revolution Group. They're out of uh, based in Illinois. They're a multi-state operator now and have done very, very well for themselves on the uh, marijuana side. And Kevin was kind enough to join us today, and he's going to answer some of our questions and give us some of his thoughts, both on uh, the new adult use program we have in Illinois and then on uh, the, the hemp side of things, uh, Revolution is taking a look at that as well, and he has some thoughts to offer. Excellent, excellent. And in addition, uh, we let him on the show because he also has some Grateful Dead credentials. So, Kevin, uh, you tell us, when was your first Grateful Dead show? i got to believe that it was probably 1985 at uh, Soldier Field. I've seen more Dead and Company, other ones, the, the dead shows that I've seen. I'm grateful dead shows. I think I only saw Jerry maybe half a dozen times. Sure. You know, okay. But uh, did you get to the fairly well 50th? Absolutely. I was. I was there for all three. Okay, Larry and I was there uh, as well. Yeah. Sure. And wonderful shows. I'll yeah. always. I'll never forget that second song when they broke into Jack Straw. That's good. And the ripple just went through that entire stadium. Yeah. So good. And Trey did a good job. Good. I love Trey. Yeah. I love, I'm a big fish fan. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I thought you did do a very good job. So, um, well, tell us about Revolution because, um, you know, we were just a couple weeks into, three weeks into adult use in Illinois. Tell us what's going on. So Revolution is a multi-state operator that was founded in Illinois in 2015. Um, like many other uh, cultivators that came of, uh, of age in Illinois, we had a, a rough patch when we went to a, a Republican governor and the uh, program was uh, stifled, I guess, for four years. Um, we have, yeah, we have finally crossed the 100,000 patient mark or, or close to it. And uh, now that adult use is in place, you know, things are humming certainly uh, across the entire state from a cultivating standpoint. Um, unfortunately, the quickness with which the law was passed and adult use was put into a, a place has caused some shortages. And that's uh, that's something that I think all of the cultivators in Illinois are trying to to work through right now. We're certainly building as fast as we can, and I know our, our uh, friendly competitors are doing the same thing. How would you say the prices are? Um, what does an eighth of an ounce cost for adult use in Illinois? So it's typically between 55 and $70 for an eighth. Um, we've been very cautious about raising prices, even though our competition has done so. Uh, we've tried not to uh, to gouge the market the way that um, it might be perceived, especially on the medical side. Uh, we have only one dispensary in Illinois right now, and it is medical only. And so, uh, you know, a lot of our product goes to that medical dispensary, um, as well as the 55 other dispensaries that are there in the state. Um, it's been interesting in that because of the shortage, uh, you know, there's been forward contracts on sales amongst many cultivators to, to a different uh, possible uh, uh, buyers um, you know we've done a little bit of that um, but have really tried to make sure that our products distributed uh, as evenly as we can across the, the state and what is the um, the town and the address of your medical uh, dispensary for the people listening out there so that's new age care it's in Mount Prospect on Euclid Avenue and again it's medical only so uh, those 
In fact, it's interesting. We've seen about a 24% increase in the first three and a half weeks of January from a patient count standpoint, yes. most of which have been medical patients from other dispensaries that went both medical and adult use that have come over because um, you know we, we fully stock our dispensary with our, our products. Well, that's very interesting. As a point of reference, you know, Colorado has had adult use since 2014, and we still have over 100,000 medical patients on the, on the rolls. Some of the reasons for that, better pricing, mm -hmm. lower taxes, mm -hmm. and the real key to it is 18 to 21-year-olds can get a medical card. Interesting. Well, they have to be 21 to buy adult use. Yeah. So yeah. We've, we've maintained, even with adult use in Colorado, a strong medical program, and our wholesale pounds for medical sell for more than our recreational pounds. Interesting. It is very interesting. Well, we've really seen, uh, you, you point this out, the medical, and yes, that, uh, as, as Kevin pointed out, we had a period of time, long period of time, uh, where the market was very much stifled, and it was very, very frustrating. And for me, of course, the great irony is now that we have adult use, the patient population is exploding. But, of course, for the reasons that you just set out, Jim, that it, it does provide uh, for better pricing. You avoid the excise tax, which in Illinois ranges between 15 to 25 percent, depending on the product. And it, it does. It, it bounces the price up. And just my own very informal uh, survey, I found that at the, the medical dispensary I go to, you could buy an eighth for generally around 60 but I went to the adult use near my home in Evanston, and they were selling the same eighth for eighty. So you know, there's there's definitely a difference in price, and you know, people who have figured that out are are, are jumping on board on the medical side all of a sudden. Well, our CPA firm Bridge West has many uh, adult use clients here in Colorado, and they would love to see those prices because we're at twenty to twenty-five dollars an eighth here in Colorado. Wow. Which, for your business plan and revolution. You should plan on declining prices over time. Absolutely. Um, our wholesale uh, price today is somewhere between $3,500 and $4,000 a pound compared to Colorado, which is roughly $1,200 to $1,500 a pound. So we fully expect that as cultivation catches up with demand, that those prices will decrease. Um, one of the tenets of what Revolution has done is we've only chosen to participate in markets where there are limited licenses. Um, we feel that there's an advantage uh, in limited license markets that are oligopolies and they can provide for better margin protection. Um, and, and that's what we'll continue to do on the cannabis side. Uh, but we fully expect that prices will come down over time. But you're absolutely right about the limited license versus unlimited license. We have unlimited license here in Colorado. You can still walk into our marijuana enforcement division with a clean record and a check that clears and walk out with a license. So for valuation purposes, the states that have limited license, like Massachusetts, for instance, most recently Missouri, mm -hmm. you find that uh, those valuations of the companies are much higher. True. We've just recently um, completed a cultivation facility in Arkansas um, that will be up and running uh, February 1st. It's in the process of, uh, of being uh, inspected right now. Um, and we also have four dispensaries in Arkansas. Again, a limited license market. It's similar to Illinois in that it's you know, roughly a third of the population, but also a third of the licenses in Illinois. So, um, you know, we feel as though it's a Illinois has been a good proxy for what we expect to see in Arkansas as well. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask is, you know, for all the people talking about how, you know, the Illinois market never really took off very well, one of the things that's always struck me as interesting is the number of up-and-going and successful multi-state operators that are based in Illinois. 
And there's a few of you guys out there, you and Cresco and GTI. And is there any explanation for what caused this? People just saying we're not going to be able to do it in Illinois, so let's look nationally? Well, I think those operators that started in Illinois realized that it was a tough road to hoe. And so they had to learn how to run their businesses efficiently from a capital standpoint, um, efficiently from a headcount standpoint. Like any good business, when you encounter problems, uh, those that succeed are the ones that can overcome those problems. And I think that was uh, kind of a Darwinian natural selection which companies that came out of Illinois as opposed to companies that have come out of other states. Now, having said that, there are still some great companies that I respect that have come out of other states. Uh, Columbia Care, Harvest are two that, that come to mind. Sure that um, are both very well run and, and uh, you know, I think are um, the cream of the crop. But it is interesting that a lot of the multi-state operators came out of Illinois, and I would attribute that to the fact that, uh, you know, those years in 2015 to 18 were pretty late. And um, what other states are you in besides Illinois? We have operations in Arkansas, Illinois. We have a dispensary in Maryland, and we own a license in Florida that we're currently building out our facility there. And what trade names do they go under? Well, they're all under the Revolution Global trade name as a, as a, as a company, um, we have brands that we will continue to support in other states, um, both the Spectra brand, which is a, um, a derivative brand, and that's where all of our derivatives are for that brand. We have, uh, you know, our Surf brand, which is a, a liquid syrup that can be poured into uh, um, drinks. Um, coffee especially has become very popular. <laughs> we have a, a French vanilla brand that, uh, that's part of that Surf brand that's very nice. interesting to to, uh, to, to see that, that growth. We'll steer the conversation a little different area. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and how that your background has brought you into some opinions on the CBD market. As I would like to say, you can't turn on the radio today without hearing a CBD commercial for CBD products. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm a capital markets guy at the end of the day. Um, my career has been a uh, unique one, I guess, to say the least. It's, uh, it's certainly been uh, in a lot of different areas. And uh, I started as a derivative trader on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade and then ran derivative trading companies for the better part of a decade and then moved into the index business with Dow Jones and um, built an electronic trading business with Cantor Fitzgerald, eSpeed, and then most recently I was at PwC as a management consultant. So derivatives and capital markets are really my background. And when we started looking at the hemp market a year and a half, 18 months ago, my biggest concern was that there was no way to hedge the price of hemp into the future. So, you know, if you're a farmer today and you put corn in the ground, you can sell that corn forward and know that you're going to make a profit on it because you can sell it at some price, right? Um, similarly with beans or any agricultural commodity or even cattle and, and what used to be pork bellies, which was... Uh, bacon. Um, right. You know, you don't have that in the hemp market, and you don't have it because it's still a very nascent market compared to those other markets. Um, the Chicago Board of Trade was founded in the mid-1800s and has been in existence for well over 160 years, primarily catering to the agricultural community. But, uh, is, but it, it, is it a price-smoothing mechanism? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a hedging mechanism that allows for both the buyer and the seller to make sure that their pricing volatility is minimized. So, by example, if you're uh, Kellogg and you want to make cornflakes, you know you got to buy corn and have it every month for the next year or two years or whatever. And therefore, the farmer can know what his price of corn will be in the future 
and may choose to hedge all or a piece of his crop. Now, a good statistic, I think, that, that we should keep in mind is the actual size of the hemp market relative to other agricultural markets. Um, the hemp market last year, we did 80,000 acres. There were roughly 550,000 acres registered this year. Maybe 200 to 250,000 of those were actually grown. So that's 250,000 acres nationally. In Illinois, we did 11 million acres of corn alone, and we have 20 million acres of agricultural tillage that is spread between corn, beans, wheat, alfalfa, hay, um, but primarily corn, beans, and wheat. So when you look at 250,000 acres versus 20 million in the state of Illinois alone, um, you can see that, that hemp is still uh, you know, quite a de minimis crop when it comes to uh, you know its effect on national and, and global markets. And some of the things I've seen, because at Bridge West we have several dozen CBD and hemp company clients and farmers, is you know they did their harvest in September, early October of 2019. A lot of that crop is still sitting, and prices are very, very low compared to what a year ago it was 40 to 60 dollars a pound. You know we're hearing prices in the five to ten dollars a pound range this year. But my opinion is there won't be another harvest now until next September, October nationally. So won't we see prices tick up and that product get absorbed into the marketplace and absorbed into all those CBD products that you hear advertised on the radio? We very well, very well may. In larger, more established markets, when prices bottom out, they tend to take 12 to 18 months to come back. Now, having said that, last year we saw prices of biomass spike again pre-harvest. So you think about the June, July, August timeframe, was when you know biomass was at its peak, but most farmers had expected to get somewhere between three and four dollars a percentage point on CBD, and now they're lucky to get fifty cents to a dollar. And and I think if you look at you know some of the there's a couple different um, services out there, hemp benchmarks being one of them. Um, there's another exchange here in, in Denver that's that's trying to get going. You can see you know what the benchmark pricing is not only nationally but also on a, a localized basis and. It's important because the hemp market doesn't have the infrastructure that other agricultural markets have. So a national price is, is, is oftentimes misleading. It tends to be much more localized based on the extraction capabilities of that local market, um, as well as the ability to uh, move the product from state to state. Um, we know that there was some trouble with that last year, although I think that's been worked out. Unless you're in Idaho. Right. Well, there's still some issues there. Um, one of our clients sent some biomass through the mail to be tested, and it got flagged. So, um, But what we're finding with that is that this is just a byproduct, once again, of a lack of education. Law enforcement, they don't know what they're dealing with. And they admit freely, I, I had a, a situation earlier this year where clients of mine had CBD products uh, shipped into them from Washington State to South here in Illinois. They were flagged at the local FedEx place. The Chicago police came and picked them up. I went down to try and get them, but we can't give this to you, counsel. It's cannabis, so we had to go through the whole. No, it's sample. We tested it, and it has THC in it. Well, and eventually, after you know far too many telephone calls and visits down with the Chicago police, I finally got somebody who understood what we were talking about. And three weeks later, they gave my client the product back, and of course, he had incurred legal fees along the way, and no products on his shelf for three months. But it is kind of a slow process in that regard, and for for people in the industry, it's. I tell them if you're going to sit down and, and, and get involved in CBD, I think the most important part of the contract right now is transportation. Who's going to take the risk on shipping? Because this is a real problem out there. You can't just assume 
that it's going to get from point A to point B. And I think that, that it's a testing issue as well. Right? Yes. So, you know, smells the same, looks the same. You know, the, uh, unless you've got a testing mechanism that can determine whether or not it's point three, yes. it's, it's pretty difficult for any uh, law enforcement uh, agency to understand what it is on the spot. Yep. Now, that brings up a whole other question, which is, you know, the THC Delta 9 test versus the total THC test. Yes which is a, you know, a, a big concern amongst farmers based on the latest USDA language. Yes. From a cannabis standpoint, we have products that will test at 0.3% Delta 9, but their THC, total THC, can exceed 30%. Sure. So once it's decarboxylated from THCA to THC Delta 9, you understand that it's really marijuana, right? However, you know, there's a lot of product that is being sold today as smokable hemp. Yes. That is over 0.3% total THC, but it may be under 0.3% Delta 9 because all that THCA that is in excess of 0.3 has not been heated to become, you know, the, the Delta 9 that, that has the psychotropic effect. Right. Which raises an interesting question altogether as, you know, if they're going to say that 0.3% is legal. And you're right. I mean, it really opens up some interesting possible up. It's 0.3% on paper and in the testing. Um, but we all know that when you, as soon as you put a match to it, then it's a whole different story. That's very true. Well, speaking of regulation, the FDA and um, hemp as it relates to hemp, I don't believe I, any of us have seen in our lifetime a consumer product that you put in your body and has some effect on you medically with virtually no testing and no background. Kevin, I think you have some opinions on that. I do. Um, as a former hedge fund manager for a biotech company, I'm very familiar with the FDA process, and I find it um, difficult to believe that the FDA will approve CBD when a company has already gone through the FDA clinical stage approval process to get CBD uh, approved as a drug, meaning, meaning GW Pharma and Epidiolex, right? They front-ran everyone did all the necessary steps and spent the millions of dollars to get the product approved and the compound approved. I don't see the FDA making an exception just because there's public demand out there. And having said that, they're under a lot of pressure to do something, but I just don't believe that, that the FDA is going to roll over because there's that, that, that public pressure. And I guess as a former trader and hedge fund manager, risk manager, you know, I think about that binary risk, right? The FDA can say no, definitively, and you're out of business. Right. That's right. So you think some of these products that we see on the shelf today, uh, we won't name them, but their life's, uh, shelf life could be severely limited by regulation. Well, there's 3,500 companies right now that are peddling CBD products out there. That's the first issue you have. Second issue is there's no need or requirement for third-party testing. So you really don't know what you're getting in that bottle, right? Third... Um, the economics on the retail side are unsustainable. And I say that because I went out and purchased a 5,000 milliliter bottle of um, CBD oil that was fully tested and was well respected in the market. And that was $390 for that wow. bottle. Okay, 5,000 milliliters. That is the equivalent of five grams of CBD isolate in it. At the time, CBD isolate was trading at $5,000 a kilo. So that means there's $25 of CBD isolate in a product that's selling for $390. Uh, 
Today, CBD isolate is somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000. A kilo. And a kilo, yes. Yep. And and my point being that you know those prices at $390 aren't sustainable over time. At any time you have margins, that big competition will come in. Right. Uh, what I do think will, is likely to happen is at some point, a pharmaceutical company will buy out some of the bigger names that are in the CBD industry today so that they have access to the product and the technology and farmers and, and the whole supply chain that's necessary. Um, but I don't see 3,500 CBD companies being successful um, over the next two to five years. I think that that's like, like anything, there'll be consolidation. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that, that's interesting and, and what, you know, Revolution is looking at is, you know, the idea that farmers have taken on the hemp crop as a new revenue stream, but in some cases have haven't made the kind of returns that they had hoped for on the CBD side. Um, our belief is that, you know, there's a lot of players in the CBD side, and that's probably not an area that we want to play in today, given the, the competition and the um, concern about risk um, with, with the approval process. But on the industrial side of hemp, whether it's the seed or fiber, you know, there's amazing opportunities there. Um, if you just look at what has gone on in China and Europe, um, since 1937, when we banned the hemp crop, um, you know, those markets have become uh, robust. Um, in China, they have a natural buyer for their hemp fiber in the People's Republic of, uh, People's Republic Army of China. All their uniforms are made of hemp. Sure. Um, in Europe, interestingly enough, uh, many German car manufacturers now have hemp body panels in their door panels and their, um, in their uh, dashboards, um, hemp being cheaper, lighter, and stronger than typical plastics. Now it should be noted that they're not completely biodegradable because the technology to turn hemp into plastic, although we all hope for that, isn't there today. Roughly 20% of those body panels are still made of some kind of a polymer that is plastic or crude oil based. But we feel that as the technology moves forward, the opportunity set there is immense. Well, as you and I know, uh, Bob Hoban and the Hoban Law Group have been taking that position for a long, long time. And in fact, you and I talked about uh, Bob's presentation that you heard uh, uh, out at uh, MJ Business year. And it's, it's a point that uh, we really try to emphasize with our clients because, as you say, when you say that, look, you have different choices in terms of the product you can come up with your hemp, but one of them has to go through the FDA and one of them has all of these problems, and we just don't know what the heck is going to ever happen with it. And I don't think we're going to have that problem making door panels for Ford or GM, you know, once they get the formulas worked out and how they want to do it. And, and really, I think that and you guys are obviously smart enough to figure that out as well. Um, that maybe hemp is, uh, has a much larger life outside of the CBD. Well, we think so. We think that, that, you know, the margin compression on hemp, if it were to come, is, is, you know, years, if not decades off. Think about the Chinese or the Europeans that have had from 1937 to 2019, like roughly 70 years or 80 years there ahead of us, um, that, that we still need to play catch up on. Um, if we were to produce the same amount of hemp that go into European cars today, we would need to build 30 decorticating plants in the United States to just match the demand that is currently in Europe just for oil parts. So the discussion here needs to be about scale right. and not about you know a cottage industry that has you know 500,000 or 250,000 acres. I mean, we need millions of acres of hemp in order to make this successful. On a, on a mass level. And you know, the fact that we're all much concerned about the environment and sustainability 
um, even though those HEPDOR panels may not be fully biodegradable, at least you've got 80% of them or 80% of the product that's going into it, which is in fact biodegradable. Right. And, you know, as the technology improves with polymers, we expect that we'll eventually be able to get to single-use plastics that are um, plant-based, right? It may be hemp, it may be corn, it may be, you know, orange peels for all I know. But without scale, you don't get the pricing to where it's competitive. Well, thank Kevin. Thank you very much. That was hugely insightful. Uh, there's so much. I think there's a lot more unknown than is known about CBD and hemp products at this point. So that was very interesting. Maybe we should talk a little music on our way out the door here. We can do that. So you have a show to go to tomorrow? I am. Uh, you know, uh, business never stops except when there's good music to see. And uh, I was out here today for my meetings. And if the weather cooperates back in Chicago, I'll be back there tomorrow. And off to see Tedeschi Trucks tomorrow night at the Chicago Theater. One of my favorite bands, as we've talked about, Derek Trucks, I think, is, is the bomb out there right now playing guitar. And quite frankly, if he wasn't on stage, we'd be saying the same thing about his wife. So... Um, it's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that because they, they're always going to uh, put down a good show. Yeah. So it's interesting. We talked about my experience as a deadhead. My musical experience started with the Almond Brothers back in ah. the late 70s. And, you know, the ability to see, well, I, I never saw Dwayne, but I saw Dickie Betts play sure. probably 50 times. And so I started out as an Almond Brothers fan. Yep. And then, of course, when Derek, you know, joined the band or Woody or, or you know, there's there's lots of different players that have been through that band. But, you know, it's it's a natural it was a natural progression for me to understand the the musical talents of the Almond Brothers, and then that just normally or just naturally flowed into becoming a, a fan of the Great Dead. Absolutely, and you're right. And I think you know they're they're just two sides of the same coin. And uh, your your comments about Dwayne Almond are, are are well taken. And there are there are not many rock and roll legends who I regret not having seen live. He is certainly one of them. But by the same token, I think how incredibly lucky we are, because if there's anybody that's channel channeling his soul, it's Derek Trucks. And uh, you know when they when uh, Tedeschi Trucks and Trey did the Layla album at Lockin last year, to me that was you know you can close your eyes. Is it Derek? Is it Dwayne? Does it matter? It's just great guitar. And uh, it, it's wonderful to see. And I'll take this opportunity to plug a great documentary I just saw, courtesy of John Fishman from Fish. He does a serious radio show called The Errant Path. Yep. Wonderful. Totally eclectic. A great documentary called Muscle Shoals. Oh. And it has everybody in it from Elvis to Martin Luther King uh, to uh, Dwayne Allman. One thing about the Almond Brothers, and I'm a big Almond Brothers fan, and I was old enough to at least see on TV uh, Dwayne Almond mm. and uh, some great photos in, in Muscle Shoals of the young Almond Brothers band. But so many of the Almond Brothers songs that people don't understand were actually um, covers of old 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s blues songs. Sure. Blind Willie Dixon was some of the ones they covered, and I can't think of them off the top of my head right now. But uh, you think, oh, that's an original Allman Brothers song, but it's not. Well, you know, listen, it was the same thing with the Grateful Dead. But what both bands did is they took these songs and made them their own. Yeah, so many of the songs of Grateful Dead were, who am I thinking of, uh, Johnny Cash, and Merle Hedder. Or even beyond that, like, take a song like Stagger Lee, which, you know, depending on which book you look at, they got yeah. 50 different people who may have written it. Yeah. Or, or um, Greatest Story Ever Told. But yeah, you know, they, they took those songs and they, they put their own stamp on it and... Uh, so or, even, or even the, the deck covering ZZ Top. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. What did Sandra ZZ They did uh, 
Jesus comes to Chicago. Oh, right, right, right. 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 Like, like Jesus just left Chicago. Jesus just left Chicago. We'll do a couple of uh, plugs here at the end. My next show will be Oysterhead. Uh, they'll be playing uh, in the Denver area here next month. And uh, so Stuart Copeland sure. from the police on drums and yeah. um, Trey Anastasio yeah. on lead. And then um, – Am I drawing a blank? Let's play, Let's play pool on, on base. Sure. So that'll be a lot of fun. And one more plug for um, our son Jack's band was just written up. Our son Jack plays in a fish tribute band called Kings of Prussia. Okay. And they were just written up here in Westward, here in Music Magazine here in Denver. Sure. As an up-and-coming uh, fish tribute band. Wow. And they're okay. getting three or four gigs a night as he finishes up college. Okay. And uh, That's exciting. But his, his, his mother said, you cannot be a musician. You have to get a job. Use your college degree. You can't live on $50 a night as a musician. It's grateful that wrote a song about that. So we know a day, day job. job. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. I think we're coming to the end here. Anything else, gentlemen? Thank yeah. you for the opportunity. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Kevin Kolarski, Revolution. Been appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kevin. Wonderful insight. Uh, Jim Marty here. Um, same. Jim, a pleasure. I will look forward to coming out to Denver again soon to visit you one more time. All right. Over and out from Denver, Colorado and the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Goodbye, everybody. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we, we break, break it all down. down.